Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On last week's show, we had a rather lighthearted romp, but we had some fun talking to uh, voice actor Corey Burton and did some rather dead-on impressions, I must say, of the old uh, J. Ward cartoon uh, stable. Uh, But unfortunately, what that means is we've got a backlog of bad news. And this last week, I'm sorry to say, was a rather bad week indeed. But I can promise you it won't all be doom and gloom. In segment two today, we're going to play an interview we taped yesterday at the KXJZ studios with noted radio duo Paul and Phil, who actually, after 18 years of collaboration, aired their last program on Y92FM earlier this morning. In segment three, we'll try and catch up with our departing general manager, who is leaving KDVS to do a summer internship at Sirius Satellite Radio. We'd also like to announce by way of a spot of good news that we've made contact with Eli Wallach's people in New York, and we'll be interviewing the classic actor uh, two weeks from now. Look for that uh, sometime in July on Radio Parallax. On this date in history, which would be June 15th in the year 1520, Pope Leo X threatened to excommunicate Martin Luther, the Augustinian friar, who in 1517 launched the Protestant Reformation. This challenged the exclusive authority of the Roman Catholic Church to define doctrines and practices. As for Leo X, I would highly recommend a book called The Bad Popes, if you want to read about a guy who really cut quite a dashing figure on the world stage. To the best of my recollection, he was the last Roman Catholic Pope to actually lead soldiers in the field wielding a sword. On this date in 1934, Great Smoky Mountain National Park, which consists of 800 square miles of land that contains more types of trees than all the forests of Europe combined, was dedicated. And on this date in 1991, after a 600-year period of dormancy, Mount Pinatubo erupted in the Philippines, sending an ash cloud that basically blanketed the entire Earth's atmosphere for two years leading to some rather marvelous sunsets here in the Central Valley uh, throughout the early 90s. It also muddied the waters in what would have otherwise been a clear-cut case of global warming and basically cooled the Earth off for a couple of years and messed up some of the data. And although volcanic blasts do help us in that area, they're not something we can count on. And of course, as we mentioned on last week's program, that Scientific American article on the secrets of the supervolcanoes, uh, yeah, a really big volcanic blast uh, has a certain set of problems that go along with it as well. And we're going to try and get to that article maybe later today. I'm grateful for the fact that yesterday the Week magazine arrived at my house, which always makes doing this program just a little bit easier. 
I was uh, somewhat saddened to see my mailman making a delivery at like 6.15. I wish they would hire a few more people over at the post office to make, uh, to make the mail service a little speedier. I think we'll skip a joke of the day, but we'll do a quip of the day, which is so much of what we call management consists of making it difficult for people to work. That was from entrepreneur and author Peter Drucker, which I'm sure will ring a bell with anyone who's ever been employed by Catholic Healthcare West. By the way, that opinion, like all those you hear on this program, do not necessarily reflect those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And here's a quote for today's show. It comes from General William Westmoreland. Without censorship, things can get terribly confused in the public mind. The general was addressing the issue of why the media should be muzzled during wartime. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the aforementioned Week magazine, it's a good week for stoners last week. When a study at the University of California, this was a survey of 2,000 people, concluded that even the heaviest pot smokers, those who had smoked as many as 22,000 joints in their lifetimes, have no increased risk of developing cancer in the lungs. It was conversely a bad week for testing the Almighty after a Ukrainian man shouted, God will save me if he exists before lowering himself into the lion enclosure at the Kiev Zoo. A lioness promptly bit him in the neck, severed his carotid artery, and killed him. And it was an ugly week for America's children when it was revealed that a Massachusetts firm is bidding for the rights to beam radio commercials into school buses. Bus Radio, which is based in Massachusetts, said it signed contracts with school districts representing 100,000 students and will next year start transmitting a blend of age-appropriate pop music and kid-targeted radio ads. But can you imagine that? Kids, you shouldn't smoke. But if you do smoke, consider Chesterfields. Anyway, like I say, I'm trying to be upbeat for today's show. You know, maybe I should have added the last segment, you know, the good news, George Bush went to Baghdad. The bad news, George Bush came back from Baghdad. Well, it's clear the Republican strategists looking ahead to November are on the offensive. They're going to do what they can to stave off what everyone else is saying is almost certain to be a loss of the House and perhaps the Senate as well owing to a rising dissatisfaction in this country with the floundering war in Iraq. And I guess in the wake of the killing of Abu Musad al-Zarqawi in Iraq, uh, they thought it might be good to get Bush over there for a photo op. But I would like to take a moment to editorialize, as we've done in the past on this program, about something that happened in 1968. With the Vietnam War floundering... Robert McNamara was scapegoated for the effort, and Lyndon Johnson replaced him with Clark Clifford. 
As the new head of the Defense Department, Clark Clifford went into the Pentagon and asked the bureaucracy two questions. Number one was, what are our objectives in Vietnam? Question two was, how are we intending to achieve those objectives? Unfortunately for Secretary of Defense Clark, the Pentagon, our soldiers in uniform, the people of Vietnam, and just about everybody involved, it turned out there, in fact, was no answer to the first question, i.e., there was no clear objective we were trying to achieve, which pretty much made the second question moot. 38 years have passed. We're in another war in Asia, and I'd like to know what Secretary of Defense Rumsfeld believes are our objectives in Iraq because it seems quite clear to this correspondent that he has so far failed to share those with the American public. Turning the green zone into a large fortified area and then driving around in armored personnel carriers, uh, you know, taking pot shots, taking improvised explosive devices, uh, uh, you know, attempts to kill our soldiers while we pick off a few people, Zarqawi and others, doesn't seem like a very coherent strategy now, does it? By way of reminder, from James Rosen's article in the Saturday Bee, Mr. Rosen is with the Bee Washington Bureau, Zarqawi swore allegiance to bin Laden in 2004 and then renamed his group Al-Qaeda in Iraq. All things considered, Zarqawi was very much a bit player in what is called the worldwide war on terror. Uh, The article by Mr. Rosen included a picture of Osama bin Laden, Remember him? Under the headline, Bin Laden Still Top Prize in Terror War. Subheadline, which surely must come from the duh file, experts, he's more important globally than Al Zarqawi. Senator Bill Nelson, a Florida Democrat, asked on the, uh, on the floor of the Senate uh, last week, uh, what about the man that President, President Bush said he wanted dead or alive a week after the 9-11 attacks? Quoting Nelson, The best news will be when we've heard that we've taken out Osama bin Laden, the face of terrorism everywhere. Yes, the man who managed to arrange four and a half years ago for his operatives to pilot commercial jets into the World Trade Center the Pentagon, and uh, in a Pennsylvania field, thwarting an attempt to possibly hit uh, the Capitol or the White House. That guy, bin Laden, still on the lam four and a half years later. That guy, a Saudi national who got 15 Saudis among the 19 pilots to uh, engage in suicide missions. The guy with links to... um, the money pipeline that comes out of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, our friends in the Middle East. That guy, still in hiding. Don't know where he is. But Saddam Hussein, who didn't attack us on September 11th, oh, he's on trial. I don't know what the death count is in Iraq, but it must be pushing 2,500. We're getting up near the number who died in the World Trade, uh, in the World Trade Center and Pentagon attacks. And um, what is... Congress doing about this? Why, they're pushing for a new constitutional amendment to ban flag burning. 
In fact, the head count in the Senate says it's got 66 votes. It's only one vote short of being passed and sent to all the state legislatures for ratification. Yes, a constitutional amendment to limit your freedoms. Maybe having a right to exercise, you know, freedom of speech and burning a flag is not very important. It doesn't seem like, uh, you know, the, the most important activity in the universe. But at the same time, you have to ask, is this something we need to have our legislators devoting time to all over this nation, in the Capitol, and in the state houses? Yeah, but that's not all they're up to in the Senate. Uh, they're working on a gay marriage ban. Another hugely important issue, wouldn't you say? They also fell three votes short in the Senate of getting rid of the death tax. But, uh, you know, I'm going to save that one for a little later. Let us take a moment to focus in on what is really important to the people in Washington. I would like to cite Stanley Crouch's editorial piece that appeared in this weekend's New York Daily News and was reprinted in the B. The article concerned Tommy Chong of Cheech and Chong, famous for his adolescent humor about the smoking of marijuana. You know, marijuana, the stuff you can smoke, 22,000 joints, and it still won't give you lung cancer. Well, it turns out, as reported on Radio Parallax, that uh, Chong, well, actually not reported by Radio Parallax, that Chong was actually targeted by the Justice Department during John Ashcroft's reign for the sale of bongs. Now, we did report that, uh, you know, the sale of bongs, or this drug paraphernalia, which are devices which allow one to smoke marijuana through water and thereby cool the smoke, for those of you not in the know, didn't live through the 60s, um, somehow... Chong became important to people in the federal government and because, well, he became very important somehow. They spent $12 million to put federal agents to dog him, to find evidence he was actually selling bongs, to try him, and to put him behind bars for nine months. $12 million of your tax dollars. In theaters this summer, look for director Josh Gilbert's A.K.A. Tommy Chong. Crouch calls it an important film, which makes a strong case for Tommy Chong being the victim of entrapment by the DEA, who were assigned by Ashcroft to continue the decimation of the Woodstock generation. Anyway, we'll be looking for that film this summer and hopefully, you know, can report on it. We'd like to pass on an email we received from Whitney recommending that you check out the movie Who Killed the Electric Car, which is also coming to theaters near you. I'd like to also thank Shanta for her email sent in showing a guy, I don't know where this guy is, <laughs> the proprietor of the Casa de Ice, who likes to put up some salty signs. Pithy, you might say. I like this one. The seatbelt law is a giant monkey machine for townships. Ask lawmakers why 40 million kids can ride a school bus twice a day without seatbelts. One wonders about that. You know, maybe if they're not buckling and unbuckling seatbelts, they can spend more time listening to ads. They were working on passing a new law in the California state legislature that, you, that anyone 13 or under had to be in the back seat. Uh, did that pass, Mr. McMillan? 
We'll have to check with Alan Stanton and David Mather, our two connections over there that uh, that follow what's going on in the legislature to see whether that one passed. I mean, where's it going to stop? You're 13, you've got to sit in the back. Why don't we just make passengers have to sit in the back and, and the driver has to chauffeur you around? Isn't that the logical next step? Now, you're 13, mom's got to drive you to soccer in the back seat, but you can go to school in the morning in the bus with no restraints whatsoever. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And from the bad and worse file, we have the bad item, which is that Karl Rove is going to beat the rap. Yes, the Republican strategy mastermind, who is the guy that thinks the Republican Party needs to, quote, get back to its base, unquote, by passing flag-burning amendments, by passing anti-gay marriage amendments, that Karl Rove is not going to be charged by Special Prosecutor Patrick Fitzgerald in the Valerie Plame leak case. We already know that Scooter Libby has indicted higher-ups in the Bush administration, he who was the assistant to Dick Cheney, which by Radio Parallax's accounting pretty much narrows it down to Karl Rove, Andy Card, Dick Cheney, and the president. Since the only one of those four who was in the crosshairs at all was Rove, it appears that that's about as high on the flagpole as Pat Fitzgerald is willing to go. Ambassador Joseph Wilson, when he was on this program a couple years ago, said he had complete confidence in uh, Special Prosecutor Fitzgerald and that he would do his duty. We weren't so sure, and we're still not so sure. This has restored a uh, slug. This has given the right wing a slug of confidence and prompted such as the following from Oregon Magazine. This is from John Solomon, who's alleged to be an Associated Press writer. A once great American political party has become a pest hole for socialist radicalism. The whining of its principles, people without principles, is now incessant. Take the so-called, quote, outing, unquote, of a CIA employee, for example. According to this alleged Associated Press writer, the truth is the agent in question was a paper shuffler in the CIA in Virginia, hadn't been undercover for more than five years. The law relating to this crime further requires intent of a clear nature in the perpetrator's part. None of these insections of the law were violated by blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's from the bad file. Are you ready for the worse? In the wake of the suicides of three inmates of the Guantanamo concentration camp in Cuba, a military investigation was begun as American officials sought to counter international condemnation over the deaths dismissing them as, quote, a PR stunt, unquote, aimed at discrediting the U.S. Catherine Phillip, writing in the London Times, reminded us that 465 foreign nationals are being held in Guantanamo without charge, some for almost four years. But Colleen Graffy, who is a senior State Department official earlier this week, dismissed the suicides as, quote, a good PR move to draw attention, unquote, and quote, a tactic to further the jihadi cause, unquote. The camp commander described the men as dangerous extremists who would go to any lengths to become martyrs. Now I must confess, most of us know nothing about the charges made against the three men who hanged themselves because possibly there have been no charges. It seems quite clear that in at least some cases, people were incarcerated in Guantanamo for at least two years because they were turned in for the bounty 
by people in Pakistan, even though they were completely innocent. It is hard to assess the guilt or innocence of people if no charges are brought. I guess some of them have been charged, but most of them have not. We'll continue to follow that story. And maybe even worse than that is the matter of Haditha, which we're not going to get into today, except to say that, thank God, at least some reporters in the mainstream media, in this case Time Magazine, went out there and did their jobs, and it got reported, and it's now being discussed. It's far from an isolated incident. On NPR earlier this week, I don't know if you caught this, the Iraqi ambassador to the United States told a story about how one of his nephews was shot by soldiers when they came in and asked if there were any weapons in the house, and he said, yes, a rifle. And when he, got, when he went to get it, the jumpy soldiers shot him to death. Those of you old enough to remember the Vietnam War must be doubly saddened by what is going on over in Iraq because, you know, it kind of feels like we've been there before. Anyway, the rest of this program is going to be considerably more upbeat, but I think we needed to sort of say some of this stuff, address it, and, uh, and we will return to it again in the weeks to come. Oh, one final bad news item. They're going to remake the old Have Gun Will Travel TV show and it's going to star Eminem. Anyway, it was a great TV show. I'm sorry they're remaking it with Eminem, but I guess as bad news goes, it's, it's all relative. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. In our next segment, we will, uh, we will lighten the mood by talking to a couple of funny guys, the radio legends, Paul and Phil. Stay tuned. Paladin, Paladin. 